Right, grab your Bibles. <coughs> now then, last time um, we saw Satan's strategy in how he attacks the church. We saw that obviously that Satan doesn't want a church to be obedient to God and that if a church is moving in obedience to the Lord, Satan is going to attack that church. And last time we saw, you know, the church under attack. Um, and we concentrated on, you know, sort of like what the Bible teaches so that when these attacks come, we can deal with them and therefore remain safe rather than actually allowing Satan to have a bad effect on the fellowship. <clears throat> but now we're going to stay on the same thing, but a slightly different angle, because what we're going to do tonight is to see how God uses that kind of attack that Satan you know, kind of launches against us, how God actually uses that to bless us as a church, and how God uses what Satan does to have his way in what he wants to do in the life of a church. Um, and in fact, not just satanic attack, we're going to see how God uses everything that happens to us as a church for a particular purpose, and uh, good things and bad things as well. Now, if, if, if you go to Deuteronomy, it's going to be a bit unusual tonight. We haven't got many scriptures to look at. But if you go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. And uh, this is kind of Moses giving Israel teaching just before they go into Canaan. So they've gone through the wilderness, okay, and this is kind of teaching that they get. And God is speaking to them. And in verse 2, <clears throat> says this, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, you'll remember when we did the Salvation series, we looked at this verse and uh, we saw that it's tremendously important that for us as individuals to go through the wilderness. We saw the work that God does in us through the tough times, you know, through all the things that go wrong and uh, sort of like when life seems a bit of a slog rather than a great big bless up the whole time. And we saw that in regards to us, in a personal way, that the Lord uses it. He takes us through that wilderness in order to do a work in our hearts. Now, that was individual application. But I want to show you tonight is that exactly the same principle works for us as a church, all right. So the thing is that we're dealing here not just with the times of trial as in when Satan attacks. I mean, okay, yeah, that's a time of trial. But we're not thinking purely of that, but we're thinking about the times too when God himself actually leads us through a tough time. There are times when it's tough because Satan is attacking. And God says, right, Satan's attacking them. Oh boy, isn't it tough? Goody, I can do a work in them. But God doesn't just leave it to Satan to make things tough. There are times when God actually quite deliberately leads us through a tough time because he wants to do a particular work in us. 
and kind of like the whole idea of the wilderness, that picture, is of kind of like the dry times and the tough times. I mean, the wilderness, a barren desert, it was very dry, all right, that was the emphasis on it. Boy, it was dry and a bit desolate, you see. And there are always times that one goes through as a church when there's an absence of discernible blessing when maybe the conscious awareness of the presence of God seems to have faded away. His presence never fades away, but our conscious awareness. And there can be times, not just of definite trial and struggle, but there can be times when it's just kind of dry, you know, when it just seems all a little bit boring, maybe, and it just seems to go on week after week, okay? Well, that's the wilderness. And we need to understand the work that God is doing us in us as a church when he sends us through those particular times. So whether it's through Satan attacking or whether it's God laying hard times on us, uh, we know that he's doing a work in our hearts. So why does God do it? Well, when he was talking to Israel, he said this, I was testing you to know what was in your heart. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Now, remember, <coughs> God doesn't test people or churches to find out what's in their hearts because he doesn't know. He does know. God doesn't have to find anything out. He knows everything. The testing is to show us what's in their hearts. So when God was speaking to Israel, and he said, right, you've had this 40 years in the wilderness, it's been a bit of a grotto time for you. He said, I was doing that to test your hearts, not because I didn't know what was in there, but because I wanted you to find out what was in your hearts. Now, we need to understand, why does God test our hearts? All right. Now, what we need to understand is that when we talk about the heart, it's all, it's all flowers, isn't it? It's all flowery and lovey-dovey. So to the Western mind, the heart is seen symbolically as the centre of the emotions. Now, when God was saying to Israel that he was testing their hearts, what we need to understand is that to the Jewish mind throughout the entire Bible, the heart did not represent emotions. The heart did not represent emotions to the Hebrew mind. Uh, we've done this before. The bowels represented emotion to the Jewish mind. And that's why in uh, sort of like the King James Version that Paul the Apostle talks about bowels of mercy. Now, when Paul the Apostle spoke about bowels of mercy, we would say a merciful heart. You see, because to the Hebrew mind, bowels represented emotions. That was the flowery bit, the lovey-dovey bit, and great it is as well. But we've got to understand that when God tested to find out what was in their hearts, it didn't mean emotions. It was nothing to do with that. So what did the heart represent to the Hebrew mind? Well, it represented a person's will and their underlying motives. Can you see? It was nothing to do with feelings, it, was, it represented what was in their mind in the sense of what was their will? What are they really about? What are their motives? What are their real aims? It was finding out what was really on someone's mind. That was the whole idea of testing the heart. So really heart, the idea was more what's in your mind. So the heart 
represented more the mind in that sense and the underlying motives. I see what you're doing, but why are you doing it? That's what the heart was all about to the Hebrew mind. Now, you see, the thing is, the wilderness reveals the true extent of our commitment. Now, that was what God did in Israel. He wanted to find, he wanted to show them the true extent of their commitment to him as a nation. And what did they discover? It wasn't very remarkable. They weren't anything like as committed to the Lord as they thought they were, all right? But the wilderness in regards to us as a church and the tough times, it reveals the true extent of our commitment individually to this church and the basis upon which we are in commitment to the church. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are different reasons that you can be in commitment to a church. You can be in commitment to a church because you're in commitment to the Lord. Or you can be in commitment to a church, for instance, because there might be goodies there for you. So someone can be committed to a church for what they're getting out of it. Now, can you see? And the wilderness reveals our true underlying motives and intentions, all right. Only remember that here, we're not dealing with the theme of commitment to Jesus immediately. What the theme tonight is our commitment to the church that he has placed us in. So that's what we're dealing with tonight, not directly our commitment to Jesus as individual disciples, but our commitment to the church which Jesus has placed us in. Now let's remember immediately, all right, and just re, you know, sort of go over sort of things that we've done so far in this course, that our commitment to this church is always a limited one and not an absolute one. The only absolute thing that we've got going is with Jesus himself. Our commitment to a church is never ever absolute. But what we're asking tonight is within the bounds of that sort of like commitment in a limited way, just how truly stuck in and given to this church are we? That's the question that we're asking tonight. And it's the times of testing that are actually going to give us the answer to that, per to that question. And what we're going to see is this. As we go through tough times, whether it's direct satanic attack, such as we have known over the last few months, or whether it's just the old dry patches, and believe me, they're going to come, just the old dry patches, okay, what's going to happen is that those times are going to show us one of two things. They're going to show us the true nature of our commitment to this fellowship, and it's going to show us whether our commitment is genuine or whether it's false, all right? And then secondly, tough times present us with the ideal opportunity to repent of any false being stuck in. You know, if we're a committed person but for the wrong reasons, the tough times show us that, and they give us a chance to realise it and say, hey, I've got to get my commitment here genuine. I see elements of false commitment here. And they show us that in our lives and give us a chance to repent of that and to get into a genuine commitment. Or, alternatively, if anyone is unwilling to be given to the church in a genuine way, then what happens is the tough times will make being part of the church so unpleasant for you that you'll clear off and go somewhere else. 
Now, can you see the point about times of testing? Because in a church where everything is based on what the Bible says, eventually, anyone who's not there for the right reason will eventually, one way or the other, be eased out. And it's this that the tough times we go through are for. Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And find verse 13. <clears throat> now this is, you know, fairly soon after Ananias and Sapphira turned their toes up. You know, we saw an extreme form of excommunication. Do you remember? God killed them. Now there, in verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were done among the people. Now go down into verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in honour. Now, a little verse there, but it tells us something amazing. People were, wouldn't dare join the early church. They were frightened of them. Now, we've got to understand why. It wasn't because the early church was horrible. If there was a group of people and everyone who went near them got beaten up, you can understand that no one dared join them, can't you? But it wasn't for that reason, because it says, and the people held them in high honour. So what we've got is that all the people who looked on and saw the life of the church, they knew that these were good people. They knew that, well, you know, their lives are, you know, fantastic. And yet even in spite of that, they wouldn't dare join them. Now, can you see the point? Now, why wouldn't they dare join them? Because they thought to themselves, my goodness, if I get stuck in with them, I'm going to get sorted out. And if people don't want to get sorted out, they're not going to dare go anywhere where they are going to get sorted out. Can you see what I mean? So that what we've got here, okay, is that the people looked on and they wouldn't dare get involved with the early church because they knew if I go near them, God is going to sort them out. It was because they knew that God was with those people. And the point is that when God is with someone, when God is with a group of people and he's able to have his way, one of the things, it's only one of the things, but one of the things is he sorts them out. God is sorting us all out, isn't he? To set us free from sin. But to be set free from sin, God's got to show us what sin is there that we need to be set free of. And that isn't always a very nice process, all right? So then, the point is, God wants his church to be a place where people who aren't genuine won't dare go near. Now, that is what God wants, and that is what God wants for us. Now, can you see, if everything was therefore hunky-dory all the time, I mean, if, if every time you came and, 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 you know, in the life of this fellowship, if everything was hunky-dory and it was one big bless-up all the time, it was joy and happiness and a bless-up the whole time. Now, can you see, you could never know whether or not you were part of this church for pure selfishness. Can you see? There'd be no way of knowing. If everything was great all the time, how could you know that you're not just there because it's great? Oh, I think I'll go and have an ogle at what God's doing today. Can you see? So if everything was great the whole time, no one in the church could ever know whether their commitment was genuine and false, whether they were just there out of pure spiritual selfishness because you're going to get blessed. Now, if someone is part of a church just because they want to get blessed, that is not genuine commitment. 
That is pure selfishness. It's not saying that it's wrong to want to be blessed. And my goodness, if you're part of a church, you will be blessed. But if someone is part of a church just for what they can get out of it, then that is spiritual selfishness and it's not genuine commitment. So therefore, it's the tough times and it's the dry and the boring times of just hard slog. It is those times that sort out the men from the boys. It is those times that are going to sort out those who are committed in a genuine way and those who are not. Their commitment is not as genuine as they like to think it is. Now, what I want to do now, um, some time ago I heard Roger Price on a tape define four different levels of a commitment to a church. And, you know, I mean, he hit the nail so much on the head that I'm, I'm just sort of like, you know, sort of saying what he said. So there are four types of commitment to a church. And it's up to each one of us tonight, and, you know, we'll get plenty of chance through the tough times, to actually say, where am I, all right? Which type of a commitment am I, am I in? Now, number one is people whose commitment is full. Type one are people who are fully committed to the church in a genuine and proper way. Now then, <coughs> this is what the Lord expects from all his people. This isn't for some spiritual elite. God wants every one of his children to be fully committed to his church. The Lord expects full commitment from all of us. And what it means is this. It means, and remember, we're talking about ourselves as a church. No use talking about other churches. We're, we're here. This applies to us, all right? Therefore, that means that we are here, that we're part of this church because you love the Lord, and two, because this is the church that God has placed you in, or at least the one that you believe, to the best of your knowledge, that he's placed you in. So that, those are the two things. Someone who is here, one, because they love the Lord, and two, because you really believe that this is where God has placed you. Now, the thing is, because if someone is committed in this way, because they do genuinely love the Lord, all right, then they are generally committed to their brothers and sisters in the church and they love them. So the point is, this is someone who knows that to talk about being committed to God and loving God in isolation is a really silly thing to say. I mean, the Bible poo-poos that notion. The idea that Christianity is purely a relationship between you and God is a silly idea. That's a bit like saying, uh, you know, that my relationship in my family, all right, is purely with my dad. Mum and my brother don't get a look in. Because it's a lunatic thing, isn't it? Now, in exactly the same way, so many believers, they think that all that matters is their relationship with God. It doesn't. In fact, it's more than that. Because the Bible tells us that we can know about, you know, what state our commitment to God is by looking at what our commitment to other people is. Are we right with God? Yes or no? Well, are you right with other people? That's the answer to that question. You can always find out where you are with God by looking where you are with other people. Alright? And if you're out of fellowship with other people and it's your fault, not if it's their fault, but if you're out of fellowship with other believers because it's your fault, you're out of fellowship with God. Full stop. So therefore, someone who is in a church, 
and fully given to it in this way, knows that their commitment to God is going to be shown via their commitment to their brothers and sisters in that church. And the thing is that that kind of, the reason that they're there, that they're given, sold out to that church, is a matter of the will. It is a conscious choice that they have made. It is nothing whatsoever to do with feelings, emotions, all those things are, you know, are entirely secondary. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not the reasons. Someone who is in commitment to a church in a genuine way are there because they have decided it in obedience to God by an act of their own free will. How they feel, circumstances have got nothing to do with it. Therefore, someone like this, whether times at the church are good or bad, whether it's bless up or whether it's wilderness, their commitment to the church is unswerving. Their commitment to the church doesn't change because circumstances do. All right. <coughs> you see, because the basis of that commitment is quite simply their obedience to God. That is the basis of their commitment to the church. It's not how they feel, it's because they're given 100% to the Lord. And so therefore, changing circumstances, how you feel, nothing to do with it whatsoever. Your commitment is because of Jesus. And circumstances, how you feel, whether things are going well, whether things are going badly, nothing to do with it. You're going to be there. Now then, obviously, all of us, as we grow, are going to be realising that, I mean, you can be in what I would call substantial full commitment to a church, where it really is genuine, and yet obviously all the time we're realising just the little bits and pieces we're holding back. So obviously it's a progressive thing. But the point is, someone like this is in genuine, unquestioned commitment to the church. Okay, so full and complete commitment. Now that is where... God wants us all to be. That is where we should all be. Or, if we're not, and we'll be, you know, back to this fairly soon, that has got to be where at least we're heading for, consciously, even if we're not there at the moment. Right, number two, incomplete commitment. There are Christians who are committed to a church, but their commitment is incomplete. Now, these are people whose attitude is strictly thus far and no further. This is their attitude to being committed to a church. Thus far and no further. For instance, their attendance uh, is based on how they feel uh, or whether or not they can think of something else they'd rather do. So these are the people, like maybe if there's a good film on the telly or something like that, or if they're, you know, just a little bit tired. I mean, okay, if you literally can't stay awake. But these are people who, the slightest excuse is what it boils down to. All right. If they don't feel like going, they won't be there. It's as simple as that. Now then, obviously, there are times when people who are committed fully to the church maybe are genuinely tied up. You know, maybe they're so busy at work that they genuinely can't get there for a while. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not saying that if you're not at every meeting, you're not committed. That's not what we're saying. But if something is keeping you away, it's something that is genuine that's keeping you away. You see what I mean? But I'm talking about people whose commitment is only 
you know, 40% or something like that. And, uh, you know, really, they turn up if they want to. Uh, whatever's going down in the fellowship, they'll be there if they fancy it. But really, uh, that is kind of uh, as far as they'll go. And believe me, we've actually had people, I don't think we've got anyone now, because, I mean, they've all withdrawn, but we've literally had people who, whilst maintaining that they were part of the church. I mean, I kid you not, people who we know were telling other people that, oh yes, I'm part of the Chigwell Christian Fellowship. I'm talking about people who were coming on average about once every two months. I mean, there are people who, who have considered themselves to be part of this church, okay, who other people in the church have never seen. You know, that if I, if I gave you names, some of you would sit there and say, who? I mean, can you see how lunatic it is? You know, as if turning up every now and then means that you're in commitment to a church. Well, no. And believe me, there have been people, all right, that they thought that this was their church. But in actual fact, they were occasional visitors. Now there's nothing wrong with being an occasional visitor. But occasional visitors shouldn't call themselves, you know, like in commitment to a church. You see how silly that is. But you see, they're people that they think they are committed, but their idea of commitment is so pathetic, it's so ludicrous. You know that presumably if you make it six or seven times a year, that means you're committed. You know, and, and I mean, they, it's literally thus far and no further. And, uh, I mean, believe me, someone could be in attendance an awful lot more than that and yet still be not committed to the church in a complete way. Uh, I mean, for instance, these are the people that you won't find any financial giving from them. What? Money comes into it, does it? No way. Now then, you know the rules about giving. You don't have to give, but you ought to give. But you don't have to, purely up to you. We don't want a penny given that isn't given freely. But all I'm saying is, that if you've got people that they draw the line at money, or maybe they'll toss a couple of quid into the general fund. <gasps> Such generosity, some Christians. You know, a couple of quid here and there. That's commitment? That's rubbish. That's nothing to do with commitment whatsoever. Can you see? Now, these are people, they might want to think they're committed to the church, but they're not. They're kidding themselves, and they're kidding everybody else as well. Uh, not for these people either, our work parties. You know, when there's a bit of our graft to be done, you know, somewhere needs decorating, or cars need repairing, or just the practical thing, you know, someone needs shopping done for them. You don't see these people then, they're there for the bless-ups. But you won't find them, for instance, at the work parties. Now, having said that, I know that there are some people who genuinely don't have time for that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people. Can you see that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, they're not there. Their commitment is woefully incomplete. Uh, you tend to find that these people, they're not interested in the teaching. I mean, it's a bit like someone who wants to learn to drive, but they don't give a monkeys about the highway code. Can you say, I mean, you've got to say, are these people serious? They want to learn to drive, but they're not interested in the highway code. There's one thing you can be sure about those people. They ain't never going to pass their driving test, you see. So these people, the teaching, no, that's not for them. And normally they've got a good excuse. Why? Well, I mean, we can't get there anyway. We're, we're busy, aren't we? Well, you see, the, the annoying thing about this fellowship is that all the teaching is recorded. And it doesn't matter whether you can get here or not. 
You know, and my goodness, we got three years worth plus of solid Bible teaching available on tape. But you see, here's the snag, here's the snag. Now, we've always made it absolutely clear, people get the tapes because they need them, because they want them. Now, we charge 250 if you can afford it. If there are people who can't afford it, we give the tapes away. No problem. But you see, by and large, we're talking about people now who they, they really wouldn't have the gall to try and say that they couldn't afford it. Yeah, can you see what I mean? So the point is they think, oh, £2.50 for a towel. No, you know, sort of rather have a Big Mac. You know, and they make, you know, this fuss. I've, you know, I've had people sort of say to me, and these are people, I mean, they've got to be earning ten times what I earn, so I tell you, I don't know much, but these are guys on ten times what I earn, okay? And, I mean, they say, well, it, it is a bit of an outlay, Beresford. Oh, they a bit of an outlay? We're talking about one Big Mac a week. But can you see, they're not interested. They'd rather have a McDonald's. Can you see? So, again, oh, they talk committed, you know, oh, yes, we're part of this church. Uh, but can you see, the commitment is absolutely incomplete, okay? What they really want are McDonald's, you know? I mean, they are kidding themselves. So there's incomplete commitment, second category. Third category is insincere commitment. Now, the thing about people whose commitment is incomplete, they're not really a great problem. And the reason they're not particularly a problem is quite simply, if they're there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. Uh, they don't tend to get in the way or anything like that. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, we've always said if people want to hover on the fringe, they're more than welcome to. We'd love to see them. As long as they don't get in the way, as long as they don't cause trouble, and um, people can hover till the cows come home. You know, they're quite welcome to come and hover. So the people with incomplete commitment, all right, it's a lot less bother if you hover, you see. <laughs> and, <coughs> so therefore, you know, if that's what you want to do, by all means, as long as you don't get in the way. But people whose commitment is insincere, now these are the people who are trouble. These are the people who are trouble, and I'll tell you why. You see, on the outside, these people look like their commitment is genuine, all right? On the outside, they look right. They, you know, they're doing all the things that people in genuine commitment are doing. But here's the point. These people are there, not for the Lord, and not for other people. They are there because they've got ulterior motives. They're not here because they're being obedient to Jesus, although they would say they are, and this is why they're so dangerous. They would say that they are. But they're not here because they're in obedience to the Lord, okay? They're here because there's something they want. Their commitment is based on pure selfishness. There's something in it for them. Their commitment isn't to serve the Lord, and it's certainly not to serve other people in the church. They're serving themselves. There's something they want out of it. Now, I mean, for instance, at the simplest level, and this isn't in any way dangerous or troublesome, for some people it might just be social. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, that's insincere commitment. I mean, people talk about, oh, I love the Lord and stuff like that. I'm committed to the church. Really, I mean, they're only, you know, you, you can be only there for social reasons. Now then, social, you know, social intercourse. Linda actually tried to tell me off for saying that the other day, and I said, no, dear, so <laughs> Forget it. I mean, social intercourse is, is a, you know, a perfectly right and proper thing. 
But if someone is in a church only for that, then again, their commitment is insincere. But you see, that's no particular problem, all right? Uh, some people, you find they get stuck into it, you know, particularly generous churches. I mean, some of us, those of us who are really in commitment to this church, we're very free and easy with our money. Now, that can attract people. They think, oh, wow, handouts. Oh, they're going to be disappointed, you know. But sometimes you get people and they, oh, wow, this church, they really look hard. You know, I know that so-and-so got into trouble and they bailed him out, you know, and they think, oh, soft touch. Well, I mean, that could be another motive for insincere commitment. But again, if anyone did that, they'd be spotted and they'd be very disappointed. So again, that wouldn't be too much problem. But other examples are more dodgy because some of the reasons that people act as if they're committed to a church are, uh, you know, a little slightly more dangerous. And, and I'll tell you why. You see, there are always Christians around who are looking for a platform. They want a platform, don't they? And I'll tell you why they want them. You see, these are the guys and these are the women with the opinions. They're the dangerous ones. It's the Christians with the opinions. It's the Christians who are God's gift to the church. And they want a platform so that their opinions can be heard. Now, that is where it gets dangerous. Now, one of the nice things here is that we're not particularly interested in people's opinions. We're interested in the Word of God. So, again, they're disappointed when they try it on. But can you see the potential danger there? I mean, for instance, I, I mean, there are some people that kind of like, they get stuck into a fellowship and what they're really wanting is they're wanting a kind of a diving board off of which they can launch into ministry. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So along they come, you know, all the commitment talk. They're trying to blind you with the Bible, you know, with their wisdom, with their knowledge. Oh, and God speaks through them, you know, sort of a bit like filling up the bath, isn't it? You know, you've got to literally turn the tap off to shut them up. You know, the oracles of God, we've all met them. Sadly, we've had them in this fellowship. You know, can you see? And their motives are ulterior. They're talking genuine commitment, but their commitment isn't genuine. They are there for an ulterior motive. There's something that they want to get out of it. And remember, out there in that big nasty world and there are lots of Christians who will never never get stuck into a church and one of the reasons they won't is this they're potential elders looking for sheep to shepherd is he and they just keep going around until they find a church mug enough to let them in and let them take over and you know we've had a bit of that we'll probably have a bit more of that but can you see insincere commitment very very dangerous and it's the tough times. And indeed, wasn't it the tough times that made people show their true colours? That's the beautiful thing. When the going gets tough, God is doing a very, very important work. And indeed, this is precisely the reason, and we've seen this again and again and again, that in fellowship, we must prove ourselves to each other. I do not expect you to simply believe that I am committed because I say so. And I don't think you can expect me to believe that you're committed just because you say so. But I'll tell you what, let's observe each other for a year. And then we've answered our own questions, haven't we? Can you see? So this is why it's so important we prove ourselves to each other so that we can know who is genuine and who isn't. All right, category number four, inconsistent commitment. 
another problem. These are the people who blow hot and cold. Now, when they're there, boy, are they there. They are 100%, oh my goodness, are they there. And they're kind of really sold out, they're 100% until, well, until whatever it is that makes them blow cold, and then they're off, you know? And then a few weeks later, they're back, they're grand entrance, and they're zealous, and they're sold out again, and they'll usually be completely OTT. Can you see? They're blowing hot and cold. Now, people like this actually tend to be rather endearing characters. They don't tend to be dangerous. I mean, these people are kind of endearing, and uh, sort of some nice characters I know are in that sort of category. But the point is they're erratic, uh, they're unstable, and they are totally unreliable. Now, can you see the problem with those sort of people is that they're not in commitment to the Lord or the Church at all. They only look like it when they're in one of their hot times or when they're on. But when they're off or when they blow cold, there's no commitment to the Lord or to the church at all. Again, their commitment is purely to themselves. They are people who are ruled purely by feelings and circumstances. So at any one moment, because of a feeling and because of circumstances, they'll look really sold out. But as soon as the feeling or circumstances change, they're off. Now, can you see that is absolutely hopeless? I mean, it is more than useless, all right? Now, here's the main point. These kind of wrong commitment things that we've seen at, all right, the last three categories, cannot, anyone in those categories, cannot and must not be depended on in any way at all. In fact, can you see, you'd be an absolute clot to trust any of them. And indeed, I've explained the reason why. If someone's commitment is incomplete, if someone's commitment is insincere, or if someone's commitment is inconsistent, can you see what a clot you'd be to kind of particularly trust them or to, or to end up depending on them or relying on them? That's the one thing you cannot afford to do. It's useless. So, <coughs> therefore, what happens is that one of the points about the times of testing in a church is that it's not only that any such people have got a chance to identify themselves and see what category they're in. You know, to think, oh, oh my goodness, yeah, I'm not as committed as I thought, all right. It is for that, but it's not just for that, okay. The times of testing are so that the rest of us who are fully committed can recognise them as well. Now, can you see that point? The times of testing aren't just so that anyone who's not sold out can identify themselves, although they are for that, but the times of testing are also so that we can recognise the people in the wrong categories as well, and therefore not get into that silly situation where you end up totally or, or sort of depending on people who are just not going to be there when they are actually needed. I mean, for instance, I'll use some instances. Who wants to share a personal problem with someone in confidence only to discover later on that, for whatever reason, it is now public knowledge because they've decided to tell everyone? Now, can you see what I mean? You'd be a clot, wouldn't you, to trust them? 
Uh, or for instance, uh, do you really want, you know, with that silly Christian grin on your face, you know, that all the conferences are designed to put there, you know, this silly Christian grin on your face, open your heart and life to all and sundry just because they're part of the fellowship, all right? You swing wide the doors of your life, in they march because you love them, all right? So, you know, you open your heart and life to them, only to find out later on, when it's too late, that all they've been doing is getting whatever they can on you so that they've got a bit of ammunition when they decide to start the next fellowship civil war. Now, can you see, you'd be a clot to trust people in the wrong category. Therefore, we've got to know who are genuinely committed to the fellowship. So therefore, it's the times of testing that do that. Okay, no problem. But now, all right, let's, let's home in for a moment on gauging ourselves personally. Question, how can I know if I'm in genuine commitment to this fellowship? And I want to emphasise again that there can always be the circumstances when someone would want to be but can't be because of circumstances beyond their control. I'm talking about people who could be that but aren't just because they don't want to be. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Now, how can we gauge ourselves? How can we answer the question, uh, you know, s sort of, what about me, all right? So if someone's sitting here thinking, oh, crikey, because of either what I've said tonight, or maybe we've had a time of testing over the last few months, you might have sort of found, oh, I'm really not as committed as I thought I was. What do you do? Now, here's the point. If you realise and admit to you, you know, to yourself that you're in the wrong category, you know, and sort of like you've realised, oh my goodness, I've been, I've been faking a bit, you know, I'm not as committed as I thought I was. Now, if you realise that of yourself, it's not the end of the world. In fact, far from it. It's your big chance. And one of the reasons for times of testing is precisely for God to give us our big chance. Circumstances show us that we're not quite what we cracked ourselves up to be. And when we realise that, we've got a chance to put it right. So therefore, if anyone realises they're not in genuine commitment after all, that is their chance to get into genuine, you know, really being given to the fellowship in a wholehearted way. So it's not, you know, the end of the world to realise, whoops, I'm not as committed as I thought I was. So therefore, what we have to remember at all times is that it's never a problem to realise that there's something wrong in our lives. It's only a problem if we're not willing to put it right. So if someone realises that their commitment isn't what the Lord wants to this fellowship, well, what a beautiful opportunity. Nothing negative, nothing get condemned about. It's your chance to think, well, I want to be fully committed. My goodness, I do. And it's your chance to actually put it right. So therefore, it may take time. You know, I mean, it's, you know, some people, it's not that over one day, right, I'm now going to be fully committed to the fellowship, and boom, they wake up the next morning and they are fully committed to the fellowship. It can take time. But the point is, as long as you're heading in the right direction, all is well. That's why I said earlier, the Lord wants us in genuine, real, being sold out to the fellowship, or he wants us heading in that direction. 
It doesn't matter if you're not in full commitment, but as long as you're heading in that direction, all is absolutely well. Now, what I actually want to do now is, is to try and ask this question, how can we actually define genuine commitment to the fellowship? Because this is what we're talking about, how can we actually define it? How can someone know if they are in genuine commitment to this or any other church? <coughs> now, so far in the series, I've defined it in sort of general terms. Now, we've got a bit of a problem here. Well, it's not a problem, it's marvellous, but some churches, they have a membership role. Now, we've seen this is totally unscriptural, so we don't do it here, but they have a list of members. And some churches, they have little covenant forms. You know, it's like, you know, like writing to the tax man or something, you know. <laughs> and you actually sign on a form that you are committed to the fellowship. Now, we don't have anything like that because it's not biblical. Uh, so, therefore, it's not as wrapped up and tidy as perhaps one might like, but the Bible wants it like that. Now, I've kind of, like, you know, defined how can someone know if they're really committed by things like attendance, uh, getting the teaching, getting a bit stuck in into people's lives and things like that. And by and large, if you talk about the fellowship a lot, you're committed. And if you go a lot, you're committed. Uh, but you see, I found a problem now, all right? And so I've got to redefine this. I've got to go more further than I've done in previous studies. And you see, it's for this reason. I've learned something more in this regards, and I've learned it precisely because we've had several people who we've actually expelled from the church. And, uh, you know, and in thinking about it, I realised what the problem was, and it was quite simply this. You see, some of those who we have expelled, some of them, not all of them, but some of them would have passed the tests of genuine commitment that I've outlaid in previous talks in this series. Can you see? The ways in which I've thus far defined how can you know if you're committed to this church. Some of the people who have been thrown out would have actually, on the outside, going through the motions, have passed that particular test, like attendance, getting the teaching, stuff like that. So on thinking about it, I had to have a kind of a rethink. You see, <coughs> those people genuinely obviously weren't genuinely sold out to the fashion, you know, to us at all. They're sort of like, they were here for other reasons. It wasn't because they loved the Lord, and it certainly wasn't because they loved us, we've now discovered. You see, their motives were ulterior. Now, eventually we realised that, you know, they were false in that extent. But they would have passed some of the tests for deciding whether they were truly sold out that I gave earlier. So therefore, they weren't fully sold out, they weren't genuine, okay, and when they realised it, they were unwilling to actually repent and change. So therefore, there's got to be a more definite way of pinpointing how someone can know if they really are sold out to a particular church. And I'm now pretty sure that I've found the way of doing it in the Bible. Now, obviously, the thing is, it will obviously also be, if I'm right about this, obviously, I'll show you in the Bible, all right, but also, if I'm right about this, then logically, it would have to be the one thing that all the people who have been expelled had in common. You see what I mean? 
So they've gone and they weren't genuinely committed. And yet they would have passed our tests for being genuinely committed. So therefore, our tests weren't going far enough. There had to be a missing factor in the tests I gave you. Well, if I'm right as to what that missing factor was, it's got to be the same factor that united all the people who were eventually expelled from the church. You'll see what I mean in a minute. You see, there were a variety of sins that between them they wouldn't repent of. <laughs> okay. Uh, and because they were different people, their sins were of a different nature. You know, I mean, no one's sins are quite the same in that sense, you see. So according to which individual person you were dealing with, uh, the sins of which they wouldn't <coughs> repent and were therefore put out of the church weren't the same in each case. But you see, the thing is, there was one very definite umbrella under which they all stood. There was one issue, or there was one thread running through all of them, which was the same for each one. So if you like, there was one umbrella sin that they all had in common. And the common factor was this, and it is this, common, it's this factor that defines whether someone is genuinely sold out to the church. What they all had in common, it became very, very obvious, was this. They were unwilling to recognise, acknowledge and submit to eldership authority. Now, do you see what I'm saying there? The one thing they all had in common was that they were unwilling to recognise, acknowledge and submit to eldership authority. Think about it. <coughs> in the Bible, what word can you use to sum up sin? It's rebellion. That is what sin is. Sin is a rebellion. That's how the Bible defines it. What is a rebellion? It's the refusal to give in to proper authority. That is the essence of sin. The refusal to give in to proper authority, be it God, elders, policemen, taxmen. Can you see? Now that was the common thread that ran through them all. Now I'm going to describe these people. I'm going to use various words. Now the people were vastly different, alright? Obviously there are millions of people, but what I'm going to say now can apply to millions of totally otherwise different types of people. And it's this, and you know them, and it's hitting the nail on the head. Individualistic, proud, self-important, mouthy, you know, opinions, I will be heard, and mercenary. There are a lot of people here who thought they had genuine friends, only to find out that their supposed friendship was a means to an end. Can you see? And when they no longer needed that friendship, they turned against you. Can you see totally mercenary people? Now, the point is, <coughs> the basic thing that links all those people together, okay, was that they were unwilling to give way and to submit themselves. The common factor is that they had a problem with authority and they would not face up and admit to their problem with authority. They were self self 
itself. Can you see they were renegade, they were rogue, they were laws unto themselves, which is the essence of what sin is. <coughs> now that leads us to a little equation. Your commitment to the Lord equals your commitment to the church. Now we've seen that in past studies. We've now got to go one step further. Your commitment to the Lord equals your commitment to the church. But your commitment to the church equals your submission to the elders. Now, I want to immediately remind you, although I'm not going to go over this again because it's all in the past tapes that we've done in this series. Remember, we did studies precisely defining how much authority elders do and don't have. We are not talking about this unquestioning total submission that whatever elders say you have to do regardless of whether it's biblical. That's not what we're talking about. But what we're saying is that within the limits of the authority that the Bible does give elders, these people refused to submit even to the clear authority that the elders had. And that even when, you know, we as elders, okay, even when we spoke on issues with chapter and verse from the Bible, the people, these people who were put out of the church refused point blank to do it. Can you see? They stuck two fingers up at the Bible. Now then, so therefore, that is the equation. Your commitment to the Lord equals your commitment to the church, but your commitment to the church equals your submission to the elders. But I emphasize that is the biblical submission and the limits of it, okay? Go to Hebrews 13, because this is indeed the way that we can define genuine commitment to a fellowship. It is being in proper submission to the elders. Hebrews 13. Now we're going to look at two verses. We've seen them before when we dealt with the subject of submission to elders, all right? But we're going to read them again and remind ourselves of them. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give account. Now you'll remember when we looked at this verse, we noticed something very strange about it. And here, when it says submit to your elders or your leaders, this is the only occasion you'll remember when a particular Greek word is used in the Bible. The word is hupaiko, and this is the only time it is used in the entire Bible. And the specific meaning of it is kind of a complete and total submission. And you'll remember I showed you that it was the word that they would have used for a wrestling match. You win a wrestling match on a knockout or a submission. And hupaiko would be the Greek word that you'd used for that. The idea is admitting that you are overpowered and giving in. Now, sadly, some churches, they use this verse to say, there you are, the, you know, the submission to your elders is absolute, whatever they say. And we saw it doesn't mean that at all. But we saw that what it does mean is quite simply this, that, the, that, that you must have no fight 
with their authority, per se. Doesn't mean you've got to do everything they say. But we saw that what's important is that you must be in the state of heart whereby if for one moment you ever thought of rebelling against the elders just because they've got authority, that you realise, no, I'll be beaten. I'll be beaten into submission by God himself. Can you see? That's the point. There's nothing in your heart that wants to take the elders on just because they've got authority. Now, what we've seen with these people who have been put out of the church is the fact that we as elders had authority. That was their main problem. Can you see the difference? They had a fight with authority. Now, someone who is really in a commitment to this church, <coughs> I hope that one of the questions you've asked yourselves is this. Are me and Robert elders who actually are using their authority in a biblical way? I hope you've asked and answered that question. Because if anyone here thinks that Robert and I aren't, what on earth are you doing here? I mean, sometimes people come to me and they sort of talk about things that they're, you know, the elders of their churches are doing. And all I can say to them is, if what you are saying is true, what on earth are you doing in that church? Get out. And I would say that to anyone here. If anyone here thinks that Robert and I are rogue elders, get out, don't be here. And remember, the final power is yours. And I'll tell you, it's the right to vote with your feet. Obviously. Now, if Robert and I end up with no one here, because everyone has told us, you know, can't you see that you're biblically out of order? Well, if everyone has left because we were, I mean, that is the final safety. You know, you do not have to come to this fellowship. Commitment is a free will thing, okay? But the point is that it's vital that there is that respect for the authority of the elders and that it's not a question of thinking all the time, well, I've got to watch the elders to get at the elders and to be seen to be going against the elders. Can you see? It's your relationship with the elders that defines whether there's a genuine commitment to the church. Go to 1 Thessalonians, and again, another verse we saw when we were looking at the whole thing about submission to elders in detail, but 1 Thessalonians, and chapter 5, verse 12 to 13, let's read it. And Paul says, We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's talking about the elders, all right? And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, again, the writer to the Hebrews gives a commandment, yield yourselves to the authority of the elders. And here Paul gives a command, respect those who are elders and esteem them very highly. Now these are commandments, we've got to see what it means. This word respect, not a very good translation. The Greek word is ido, and what it means is, it means having full knowledge of something based on personal experience. That's what this verse means. It means to have full knowledge of something based on personal experience. So here, what he's saying is, make sure that you really do know your elders. So therefore, Paul's saying, make sure that you are really in with your elders. Make sure that you really know them, okay, and that assuming that they have proved themselves 
to be themselves living under the authority of the Bible and themselves with love in their hearts, okay? Assuming that, then give them the respect due for the fact that they are living themselves in submission to God and that they do have a bit of a tough job being elders. Because after all, when there's trouble, everyone else can, obviously, and you're fully entitled to do this, everyone else can go home and have a line and forget about it, but I'm afraid it's Robert and I who sometimes until the small hours of the morning, night after night after night after night, are having to do it. And, and Paul says, right, give them a bit of respect for that. Okay, give them a bit of respect for that. Don't have any problems with them because they're elders. Don't be against them in that sense, be for them. But also, he says, esteem them very highly. Now, this word esteem, the Greek word is hegiomai. And what it means is to consider or to take into account. And at Paul's writing, he says, now look, really take the elders into account because of how you love them. Now, what does he mean? How are you supposed to consider the elders? How are you supposed to take them into account? Well, I'll tell you, <coughs> certainly one way is that you must give the elders the benefit of the doubt. Now, I mean, over the last few months, Robert and I have been called everything under the sun by people who we thought were actually committed to this church, you see. Now, can you see, it's vitally important to give the elders, assuming they have proved themselves to you, assuming they have proved themselves to you personally, it's vitally important to give them, all right, the benefit of the doubt, because at all times, they are acting on a fuller knowledge of whatever situation it is than other people in the church have. Now, we believe in openness, totally, so that the church has been informed of every detail of this laborious and monotonous process of getting rid of these people, but you have been informed of every detail. Nothing has been hidden. <coughs> if there's a situation going round, all right, if someone in the church comes up to you and as far as you know they are fully committed to this church and they come up to you and they say, Beresford beat me up, <laughs> alright? I mean, no one's accused me of beating them up, but I mean, short of that, I've been accused of everything the last few months. Now, if someone says to you, Beresford beat me up, now, or Robert beat he Robert was swearing at me over the phone, <laughs> alright? Now then, could you give us the benefit of the doubt? Now, by all means, come straight to us. Straight to us. And say, so-and-so's just told me that he kicked his head in. <laughs> now, because so-and-so has told a third party they, they've blown their confidence, the thing is now public knowledge. So Robert and I and any future elders we have will then tell you exactly what happened. And then you've got the whole facts. But until we can give you the whole facts, please give us the benefit of the doubt. Or you'll end up getting all confused by people who are telling you lies. And all you've got to do is this, look at our past record. Have you ever seen me beat anyone up? Well, if you've never seen me beat anyone up, am I likely to beat someone up tomorrow? I mean, we're not saying it's impossible. I mean, if you came to me, and you said, look, so-and-so said you beat them up. And I said, I did a kick their heads in. 
I'm, I'm not having them behaving like that in this church. I gave them a kick. Well, then you know that I'm in sin and you've got to rebuke me. But until you've found out the whole story, give the elders the benefit of the doubt. There is, I mean, is there any reason to suddenly doubt us? I mean, do Robert and I suddenly overnight become absolute blatant liars? Well, the chances are not. But feel free to investigate. Quiz us. Bring your thumb screws. You won't need them because we'll tell you everything. No problem. So therefore, can you see that it's your relationship to the elders or like when we're really bigger and bigger and stuff like that to at least an elder. It's that relationship with an elder that defines your commitment to the church. And see, here's the point. The elders, whether it's everyone individually or between them, all right, the elders know who are really committed to the church and who aren't. The elders know, all right. So that one way or the other, Robert and I find out just that bit before everyone else does. Is he? But Robert and I know who is really committed to this church and who isn't. But there's another thing is that we also know that of those who aren't, we know who are making progress and fantastic. And we know people who, the people who aren't making any progress. And we know the potential troublemakers. All right. So, therefore, of people who are making, you know, no progress at all, well, if they're just hovering, because remember, it's a lot less bother when you hover. If they're just hovering, as long as they're no problem, well, okay, as long as they don't get in anyone's way, as long as they don't, you know, as long as they don't start to cause trouble, that's, that's fine, okay. So, Robert and I know, on the one hand, those who really are sold out in substantial commitment to the church. We know as well those who aren't, but who are on their way, and we're just kind of shoving the compost on. Is that a very good analogy? We're just feeding them. Just feeding them, you know. And we're doing everything we can to love them, serve them. That's great. They're heading into a greater commitment. No problem. Uh, we will always know of any who are making no progress whatsoever and have no intention of making progress. And we will always know anyone who could potentially cause trouble. But of those two people, or those two types of people, then the point is that we know that eventually... If that is the truth about them, that they're just waiting to cause trouble or they've got no intention of doing anything but hover, then eventually a time of testing will come that will ease them out. If anyone causes trouble and doesn't repent, they'll be kicked out. <coughs> but if people are just hovering, in time, they'll be eased out by circumstances and God will actually do that. Okay, and that here in this fellowship, one of the things that we're absolutely clear of in our minds, we have no qualms whatsoever about people leaving this church. No qualms whatsoever, all right. We are not into this thing, you've got to keep people in your church, come what may. We're really not into it. We only want people to be in commitment to this church who are truly sold out to the Lord and who are sold out to the Lord because of their own free will choice. So anyone who is committed 
to the Lord and to this fellowship. We only want that because it's their own choice. We are not going to pressure anyone into a commitment that they don't actually want to have. All right. Now, <coughs> we go by the word of God alone. The Bible is the only authority that we <coughs> recognise in this church. And the job of elders, their authority, is simply to make sure the teaching of the Bible happens. That's all. That's all they're there for. Now, we go by the word of God. Now, if there are any that can't take that heat, then we welcome them to go and find a cooler kitchen somewhere else. And it's as simple as that. Now, that doesn't mean we want to lose anyone. We don't want to lose people, all right? But <coughs> if us being faithful to the Word of God and uncompromising to the Word of God, if that means that people do leave, then fair enough. We're quite happy about that. Can you see? We're not going to compromise. We're not going to sort of tamper with truth to make it easier for people to be amongst us. We're going to go by the Bible. We're going to go by what is true. We're going to be truthful with each other. All right. And if people don't like it, if they can't take it, there's no reason why they should be here. They're quite free to leave, and we're not going to pressure them. And you're not going to get any of this, well, if you leave this church and go to another, then, then, then you'll lose your salvation. I mean, we're not going to be doing any, any stuff like that at all. People come and go as they please. We only want people here who actually want to be here. So to pressure people <coughs> to us is such a stupid idea. If you'd rather be at home watching television, please. What's the point of being here, listening to the word of God, thinking, oh, I'd much rather see that television program. Do you see? I mean, so we don't want people here because they've got to be. We only want people here because in their hearts they really want to be, because they're sold out to Jesus and because they know that Jesus has placed them here and therefore they're sold out to this church as well. So let's sum it up like this. When the going gets tough, and believe me, it will at times, whether tough in the sense of, because there's attack going on and that's tough, or whether it's tough in the sense of trying to trek across the Kalahari Desert and it's a bit dry and boring, all right? Whatever tough it is, when the going gets tough, then the tough get going. Now, whether or not they get going into deeper commitment with us, or whether they get going somewhere else where life is a bit easier, that is purely up to them. So believe me, when the going gets tough, people get going. Whether it's off to another church or deeper into commitment here is absolutely 100% up to them. So can you see, all right, the way that God, through times of testing, he is going to all the time be sifting out those whose genuine is false and allowing those whose, gen whose commitment is genuine to be going from strength to strength and not being the whole time hindered by other people who, one, aren't willing to go all the way, but number two, don't see why anyone else should be going all the way and just want this wishy-washy compromise all the time. <coughs> okay. So, therefore, God will be sifting this fellowship all the time, one way or the other, but there will be specific times for specific sifting when God will either it will come as a massive satanic attack 
or maybe we might find, who knows, that there'll be a period out of the blue, three months or so, this isn't a prophecy, I'm just saying, but out of the blue, there'll be a time when, you know, like, like we get together on a Sunday, we've sung the same old choruses, we've had the same old person speaking in tongues, and we're sitting there and we're thinking, well, at least we've got the love feast. At least there's some things to look forward to. Can you see? It may be dry, but the point is we're going to be there bashing away praising the Lord because we're praising God because he is worthy. Whether or not it makes us feel good at any one particular time is absolutely neither here nor there. Right, we will continue next time.